Please read Psalm 139 with me. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Good morning and welcome to La Jolla Community Church and we are so blessed to have you with us here today. Please stand and let's all worship the Lord together.
those around you in the name of Jesus. So as you get seated, why don't we turn our attention to the video up here and we're gonna find out what's going on at LJCC. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. My name is Janet Griffin, and I'm here on staff. Thanks for being here with us today. We're a family of families, and we know that we're not perfect. Instead, we bond together and discover the support, hope, and purpose that comes from knowing Christ. Life transformation begins in community, and God intended us to be in community with one another. If that sounds like you, we would love to connect with you. There's a place for you to write your name on the Connect card and let us know how we can be praying for you. After all, we're a church that believes in the power of prayer. In a few moments, the ushers will be coming by to collect the morning offering. Place your Connect and Prayer card in the offering basket when the ushers come by. We have more exciting events coming up this summer for youth, like youth lock-ins. Experience 12 hours of customized games around our campus purposeful activities centered around the Bible, and snacks. Because making memories and having good, clean fun is awesome. Some of you may be wondering what a lock-in is. What we mean by a lock-in is that the students are there for an extended period of time. Lock-ins are a lot like the summer party. Students will play games, listen to worship music, and bond as a cohesive group of kids. It also gives any new students joining the church or a youth group a chance to hang out with all of the kids at once. It's a super laid back environment. We encourage all students to participate. After all, they will be soon hitting the books. Lock-ins begin at 8 p.m. and end at 8 a.m. the next day. High school lock-in is on Friday, August 9th, and the junior high lock-in is on Friday, August 16th. The summer isn't over yet gather together in community with our entire church family. Save the date for an all-church picnic on Friday, August 30th, coinciding with our last summer movie night. You'll be spending time bonding closer with our church family and with guests from the community over food, games, and a movie. We'll also have free popcorn and lemonade to enjoy. The fun begins at 6.30 p.m. And if you're feeling the nudge to help out with this event, please contact Rihanna Contreras at Rihanna, R-Y-A-N-A, at ljcc.org, and help us make this all-church event the best of the season. Please pray with me. Almighty God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here today. We praise you for who you are and what you have done for us. We believe Christ's blood was shed for our sin, and because of his sacrifice, we will spend eternity 
praising and glorifying you. Your wonders, Lord, are all around us. The beauty of this earth, the skies full of splendor and awe, the seas that can be so calming and yet also terrifying in their power. All are commanded by you. You've shown your love and care for us by giving us an earthly home that is just a foretaste of our heavenly home. Stir the hearts of our nation's leaders to honor you and seek your wisdom in all things. We ask you to be with our church, guide and lead us in the way you would have us serve you in our community. We want to help and encourage everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. We lift up those who are suffering physically or emotionally, be their healing strength. Remind us to praise and thank you for the blessings you give us each and every day. Your grace and mercy we do not deserve, but we are so in need of. Reveal our sin to us, Lord. Show us where we have failed you. Give us hearts of repentance that we may live in the freedom of your love. Thank you for Pastor Steve, whose hope for us is to be wise in your ways and to live our days rejoicing in you and your unconditional love for us. All these things we ask in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Carolyn. Well, hope you're having a great summer. Are you? If you haven't had a chance to go to Hawaii, you've been around here the last week, you've had a little bit of Hawaiian weather, uh, you know, a little bit of humidity and all that, it's very nice. Uh, we're in the middle of a series, a Wisdom in Bite-Sized Pieces. Uh, it's not that we don't have a big appetite, it's just that uh, we, we need bite-sized pieces because there's so much wisdom that we need <clears throat> that uh, we want to get it in bite-sized pieces so that we can appropriate it, that we can try to understand what is it that God wants to give us that is essential for us to experience life in all its fullness. He said that, uh, Jesus said that I've come that you might have life in all its fullness. Not perfect life, uh, but a life that is, is worth living and deeply satisfying. So where does that come from? It comes from the wisdom of God. So that's what we've been talking about. Today we're going to talk about behaviors uh, that build us and behaviors that burden us. Uh, as you think about <coughs> your behaviors, well, let's not think about our behaviors. Let's think about somebody else's behaviors. As you think about people's behaviors around you, <coughs> you see things in people and you think, you know, that is, I can see that's building you up. Keep doing that. Uh, I can see that's burdening you. You should stop doing that. But we never have those conversations because you keep it in here. And, and the, the part that relates to us, where we should be thinking about it for ourselves, is that we're so close to our behaviors we don't often see it. You know that thing you do? <coughs> there was a, there's a guy who lives in La Jolla, uh, and he's, he was at one point one of the most famous motivational speakers in the world, and uh, he, his resume was so impressive, he'd flown planes and all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> but he always had a little bit of a sense of insecurity, because <clears throat> when he grew up in PB, his dad would take him on drives on Sunday through La Jolla, and he'd say, <clears throat> those people got this by stealing, or they were just lucky. So this guy grew up to be a, 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 <clears throat> an amazing uh, a military pilot, and then this incredible business motivator, and he was the one who would help people go to their highest level in sports and all that. <clears throat> when it was a pro-am tournament at Torrey Pines, and he was paired up with a famous golfer named Lee Trevino. <clears throat> Lee Trevino was a guy that grew up dirt poor as a caddy, shucking balls, going into ponds, getting balls, cleaning them up and selling them, and then ended up becoming a golfer, <clears throat> one of the great golfers of all time, and he's paired up with uh, this guy. And, and he said, hey, you're the big deal guy who's the authority on performance, peak performance. And right away, this guy knew I'm in serious trouble. Because some guy's saying, hey, you're the big deal guy. And, and he said, well, no, you know, actually, I, well, no, no, you've written all these books, everybody listens to all your tapes, you know, you're, you're, everywhere I go, you're speaking, you're amazing. 
We're going to have a really good time playing golf. However, just to make it really fun, I want to, I'm going to spot you this many strokes, and I want to bet you this much money uh, per point. The guy goes, yeah, okay, sure, you know. So as my friend gets up to tee up, um, right before he tees up, Lee Trevino says, oh, that's interesting, that thing you do. <laughs> and he goes, what thing I do? You know that little thing, little thing, little thing, little thing you do when you're fat? Does that work for you? Just. So he said, I, at that point, I unraveled. <clears throat> By, oh, and then, oh, then Lee Trevino, to, to cap it off, said, hey, I got an idea. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to play with a Pepsi bottle on a string, a Coke bottle on a string. So he has this, pulls out, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a hustler golfer, right? So he pulls out this bottle, empty, empty, empty Coke bottle, has a string tied around. He goes, yeah, I'm just going to play with this. <clears throat> and so my friend said, by, by, by about four holes in, I was down so much money and behind so many strokes, it was embarrassing, and I could never regain it. Behavior is huge. Behavior is massive because we are not often aware of how our behavior is burdening us. And the behaviors that we need to build us just seem constantly out of reach. So where do we get the wisdom to turn a corner on that? <clears throat> and um, that's, I thought of that story because the last service, his daughter was here, and we were talking, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what a funny memory hearing him tell that story. He was an expert on behavior, and he was so close to his own. Uh, and that's how each one of us are. We're experts on everybody else's behavior. You know, if you just did this, Life would be so much better for you. I've been watching you. You know, if you just, and then ourselves, oh my gosh, not so much. So here's, here's the big idea of the morning. The Bible claims that Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. <clears throat> this is right out of the Bible. Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That is, he can do anything and he knows the right thing to do. His wisdom is ultimately knowing the right thing to do at the right time and in the right way. And the power to do it, wow. If you know what to do and you have the power to do it, once, once Lee Trevino started getting inside this guy's head, he's like he, he lacked the power to say, I'm not even going to listen to you. I know you're hustling me. Because uh, <clears throat> had he said that, Lee Trevino would have said, yeah, I am. This is another thing you do, right? It would have kept going, right? The Bible claims that Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. What are the implications of that? Now, if you're sitting here today, as a person who doesn't believe in Jesus, or you believe, well, maybe he existed, but I don't buy any of this stuff. I'm just here for brunch, following with my friends. You're so, I'm so glad you're here, because maybe for the first time, you'll, you'll have, a, have a moment to think about the fact that if this is true, everything that you know and believe is up for grabs. If this is true, everything about life is different. And so living wisely ultimately means learning to understand, to stand under to have this power undergird you, to understand uh, the power and the wisdom of God in your own life, to appropriate that power uh, and to experience it in a way that is functional and practical. Is this even possible? So the audacity of the Bible is that it is. Not because the Bible is going to motivate us to try harder and do better, but because the one who inspired the Bible, who stands behind it, stands under it so that we can understand it and be stood under by it, says, I will transform you as you learn to trust me. I will take you through a process of getting to know yourself as you get to know me. I'll bring people into your life, some of them counselors and coaches and mentors and friends, people to simply be part of a community with, 
and they will help you appropriate the fact that my power is available to you and my wisdom is, is given to you in bite-sized pieces so that you can take it in and benefit from it. <clears throat> so here we are in, um, in uh, John, one of the Gospels, one of these four accounts of Jesus' ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John was the youngest of Jesus' disciples. And so here it was called chapter 9 of John, verses 1 to 3. Uh, John's talking about being with Jesus, and he says, As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? <clears throat> so the worldview that they had was that, if, that all, everybody in the world was affected by sin. But if you had an especially bad situation, a disability, some affliction, that must be a sign of a particularly grievous sin, a heinous sin that you or somebody in your family had committed. <clears throat> and it, it's, it's, it's well-intended but, but bad theology because what it, it's based on is a, is a verse that says, the sins of the fathers are visited to the third generation. <clears throat> and it's not a curse. If, if your father, grandfather, great-grandfather did something, it's going to redound on you. You're going to be bummed out because it's going to uh, fall on you to face the punishment of that. All it is is an early, an early way of saying families run in systems. And if your family system is like this, chances are it's going to affect future generations unless somebody in that family tree says enough is enough. <clears throat> so you know the, the, the theory that if, if you saw your father beating your mother, uh, you'd probably grow up to be a person who beats women. What a curse. But if you met Jesus and, and, and you said, I want to learn how to be a man that loves and cherishes a woman, would you be stuck with that curse? No. You break that potential momentum of that systemic injustice or abuse. So this was a theology that was in their head. <clears throat> so if it was kind of a fractured flicker theology, they, they got it pretty close but not quite. It's like a bunch of houses in Riverside right now that look perfect until you get up close, there's a yellow tag on them. You think, why isn't somebody living in that house? Well, see, it's just off the foundation enough, it's unsafe. So they put a yellow tag on it to say, it looks okay, don't go in it. Don't try to inhabit it. <clears throat> so as they're walking along, they see the blind man, they go, oh my gosh, was it him or his parents? Maybe his grandparents. So well-intended, they weren't being mean, disrespectful, they're just saying, I wonder, they're trying to think theologically, which is fantastic. I hope everybody here wants to think theologically. That is, what does it mean to think the thoughts of God and to process those in a way that they become part of my thinking? <clears throat> and so, fantastic that they were with Jesus. Can you imagine if they hadn't been with Jesus, they would have spent the rest of the day going, I think it was his dad, probably. <clears throat> Definitely his dad. I don't know, he looked kind of sketchy. Maybe it was him. You know, he deserves to be blind. <clears throat> but because Jesus was, was with them, Jesus could disrupt that faulty thinking and turn it and give it a larger frame of reference. So what does Jesus say? He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happens so that the works of God may be displayed in him. That the works of God might be displayed in him. Yes, all people are sinners, granted. But there's a larger perspective, a larger frame of reference from which to see this. That in the midst of our situation, you know, nobody can overcome their own propensity to sin. <clears throat> you will never, ever meet. Uh, you'll never, ever meet a human being who is perfect and sinless. 
Just let that sink in. Nobody wants to be called a sinner. But if you said, hey, are you perfect? Well, I don't like to say so, but I... No, if they're serious, they go, no, of course not. But the theological term is sinfulness. You miss the mark. You overshoot the mark. You fall short. You do what you know you shouldn't do, and you don't do what you should do. So this is something that afflicts all people. Every single culture has this to contend with. So it's not some special category that once you have enough money and education, you'll be beyond that. Our culture believes that, by the way. Our culture, in many ways, assumes, just like whose sin is this, the man's or his family's, we assume that if we just get to this certain place, it'll be awesome. So my friend who was playing golf with Lee Trevino, his thought was, if I can just get out of uh, this really uh, you know, impoverished situation that I've grown up in, if I can just get lucky, and once they get all those things, and so once he lived in this amazing house in Rancho Santa Fe, once he had everything he could possibly have, uh, he still realized there's something missing in me. I've got a PhD. I've got this incredible war record. I've got this incredible business record. Every business, major business person in the world knows my name and wants me to come speak to their company. I have more money than my parents ever imagined that person could have. <clears throat> I, I, I have the greatest life. All three of my wives would attest to that. <laughs> Literally. And he says, what? There's something missing. <clears throat> There's something missing. What is missing? And one time he was in a plane with another friend. And uh, <clears throat> the friend was, at the, was flying the plane. And... Um, this first guy says, well, you know, hey, I get your whole thing about Jesus, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm all over it. Jesus is my co-pilot. And my friend, other friend, who's flying the plane, says, really? He turns off the engine. And the guy who has just said that is like, what are you doing? Because I'm just curious, you know, how is that working for you as the co-pilot? Because Jesus is not your co-pilot. He's the pilot. But for him, you're going to crash. And he goes, I get it. And he started to turn a corner saying, okay, to call myself a sinner isn't a humiliating defeat. It's this beautiful, breathtaking awareness that there's someone who loves me so much, he accepts me as I am. And I, have to, and I can stop this endless, frustrating chase for the right woman, the right deal, the right this, the right that. My dad was a bitter guy because he didn't understand that the solution to what we were suffering from wasn't in La Jolla in a zip code or Rancho Santa Fe or in all these accoutrements of what looked like the good life. It was something that was out of reach, but for God himself saying, it's for you, it's my gift to you. So this man uh, or his parents aren't the issue, Jesus is saying. In the midst of this setting, God wants to reveal his works. Does that resonate with you? That in the life you're living right now, the life you're living right now, uh, God wants his works to be apparent in you, so you say, I could have never gotten that done. I could have never figured that out. I could have never overcome that. What a gift that God is giving me. <clears throat> this notion that, that God um, uh, whacks us, I mean, God disciplines us for sure. But this idea that, that God would make a person blind because of their sin <clears throat> uh, is a pernicious sort of a thing because, it's a, again, it's, it's a, it, it takes good theology and it just distorts it. I'm reading a book, and I won't get into the book. I'm going to come back and talk more about this guy's life um, in a few weeks. But I've been reading this book by a guy who, uh, you've, you have seen the stuff that this guy's written in movies or in TV shows or other things he's, he's published. He's an amazing writer, and he used to live here in San Diego. Grew up in one of the most dysfunctional families I have ever, ever read about. 
horrific in every way. The deprivation, the abuse, it's just beyond belief that this guy even survived. <clears throat> and, and, um, and so now as a college kid at Southwestern College in downtown San Diego, and then at San Diego State, he's just starting to find himself, just gotten out of this abusive family that's just crushed his soul. And he meets some Christians <clears throat> down in Chula Vista. And it's in, the, in the, uh, it's in the 70s, and they started out great, but now it's, it came out of this Baptist church and this wonderful movement of the Jesus movement. But in, with all good intentions, they created these little communal houses, and the pastor was really trying to reach all these lost kids. And um, it got, came off the rails. It became, you know, this, this, it was this shepherding movement where shepherding became, I'll let you know if you should be going to college. I'll let you know who you should be dating. I'll let you know, and here's your five bucks for the week, and it became a very authoritarian, kind of a cultic-like thing, but it was, it was actually, it was a, a Christian thing. It wasn't a cult. It was a Christian thing that became authoritarian in a way that was destructive. <clears throat> well, this guy's trying to sort it out. He has very poor social skills. He has no sense of what a normal life looks like, so he's drawn into this movement of, of young people, and he's just blown away by the love, the grace, the acceptance, and reading the Bible. He's trying to figure out, do I believe in a God after what I've seen? Is there a God? Could there be a God? And so as he's getting into it, he's got questions, and, and he, starts some, he starts to experience some things that were just kind of weird, and some abusive authoritarian things. Now, he grew up with an abusive father, so he's going, I've seen this. This can't be what Jesus is about. And at one point, he comes back to the little communal house in which he's a resident, and he sees the pastor um, involved in a, in a promiscuous relationship with somebody he's supposed to be counseling. He's crushed. So he goes to the guy who's the head of the house, and he says, hey, um, I saw our pastor... I walked in and found this situation. And the guy goes, you're just being rebellious. You're trying to discredit our leader. It's like, what? And he was forced out of this house. Now he's going, I'm homeless. I don't, I'm not going to go back to my abusive family. What am I going to do? So he's scrambling around. And one night, <clears throat> he's walking late in the, night, in the streets of Chula Vista. By the way, if you've never been to church before, I'm so sorry I'm telling you this story. <laughs> <clears throat> if you need to leave right now, it's okay. I won't take it personally. <clears throat> but I'm telling you this story because... Because screwy theology, as well as intended, can be a burden on us and be connected to behaviors that if we just knew a little bit more, we'd say, you know what, I don't think that's, for the, I don't think that's of the Lord. <clears throat> so as he's walking along, he doesn't notice that there's six young guys coming toward him who just start to beat the crap out of him. If you're offended, I said crap. I had another option that I didn't go with. <clears throat> Mercilessly beat him, beat him, beat him. And he, he, he's been beaten so many times in his life. And he's like 6'3". He's like but he weighs like 150 pounds, right? So these guys are pounding him, and he falls against his fence, and, and, and neighbor comes out, looks, and goes back in, and, and it's, it's like to the point he's almost dead. And later the police said, I think what happened was this was a random thing where some gangbangers needed to prove that they were worthy to be in the, in the group, and they're supposed to kill somebody. And you were saved because the guy at the house that you were slumped in front of his fence came out and said, hey, you guys get out of here, I'm gonna call the cops, only because he thought they were messing with his car. So... He finds out, though, that this group that he'd been fellowshipping with and the house he'd been living in said, oh, that happened because of his sin. That happened to him because of his sin. Uh, so at that point, he was immediately confirmed in his atheism. But the funny thing uh, is everything he's written since then, he's written some of the most amazing stuff that you've ever seen in a movie or on TV. Every, everything he writes... When you read it close, he, he came up with some of the most popular animated things of all time. I, I, it's amazing what this guy has done. Everything you read and see from him is a morality play. Everything is yearning for a God who is just and righteous and good. 
And so to think that the thing that was so close to help him understand that was snatched away from him is heartbreaking. So this is the perniciousness of sin and the behaviors that can set us up to be so burdened that we can't even see the salvation that the Lord wants to bless us with. And so um, what if we viewed everything in our life as an opportunity for the works of God to be displayed in us? What if that group at that time, and later it, it was a big scandalous thing in the early 80s, and this guy was booted out of the church, and the church, it was just horrible because, you know, San Diego Reader had a field day on this crazy situation, and it was horrible, horrible, horrible. And if you meet people who are part of that to this day, they go, oh, it started out so well, and how did it get so bad? Because instead of saying, this behavior doesn't really look like Jesus, and it feels burdensome, I wonder if there's something we're missing because I think Jesus wants to lift our burdens. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Not meaning that I make life easy, I make life better. I make it better. So what if we viewed everything in our life as an opportunity for the works of God to be displayed in us? So you find yourself right now in a really hard situation, a situation you never imagined being in. You have everything and you're miserable, or you have nothing and you're miserable. Or you're miserable because everybody else seems to have everything and you have nothing. I don't know what the, the, the calculus of your situation could be, but what if he said, Lord, I'm guessing that you want to meet me here. I'm guessing that you are willing and able to display your works right here where I am. And I'm guessing, Lord, that you're going to use people, you're going to use your word, your Holy Spirit, perhaps deep counseling, perhaps an intervention, perhaps just enough time as I'm, as I'm taking in your wisdom and experiencing your power. What if we viewed everything in our life as an opportunity for the works of God to be displayed in us? Are you willing to do that? Perhaps you're already doing that. There's a very wise group of people here who've experienced the power of Jesus in many practical ways. But perhaps you're aware of a part of your life where you're thinking, yeah, I, I could really use that. So don't feel defeated or discouraged. Gee, what was my sin? Where did I go wrong? Yeah, maybe, maybe you're in a situation because of your own sin or the sin of somebody else. But that's just the backdrop of, of life in this world. The bigger issue is that God wants to display his power in the midst of you and your situation. Are you open to that? And by the way, what if someday we'll understand that what we were going through, God allowed us to go through for good purposes? And you might say, that is rotten. I would never put that, anybody through that. But what if, because he's God, and someday you'll be in his presence, and you go, hey, I want to talk to you, but why did you let me grow up in that family? Why did you let me go through that experience? Why did you let those people do that to me? Why did you let that, et cetera, et cetera? He'll say, let me show you from my perspective what this is about. And once you saw it from his perspective, you go, oh, I'm okay with that. Being okay with it doesn't mean I'm okay with injustice, I'm, I'm okay with abuse, I'm okay with deceit, betrayal, or anything else. It's that I get what you are doing. God takes responsibility for this world. And we, we have a hard time getting our head around that. But what if we viewed everything as an opportunity to experience his works in our life? And what if we'll understand someday and be okay with it? What would change the way you see and, and live your life? Would, would, would we stop being angry at God? Would we stop hiding from God? Would we stop blaming God? Or would we say, Lord, I think this is a job big enough for you. 
See, I'm hoping that this guy, uh, his, his autobiography I'm reading, I'm just because he's so hungry for God and he's so adamant about his atheism, I just can't wait to see, he read the second book he writes, saying, you know, against all odds, I've come to know Christ, and now I look back and I realize that was well-intended but immature people doing really reprehensible things and justifying it in horrible ways, but I get it now. I get, and I'm not okay with what I went through, but I'm okay with the fact that God even uses that to bring me to him. Job's friends asked, who sinned, this man or his parents? Remember Job? He's got to have the most depressing life story ever documented. But think about it. By the end of the story, basically Job is saying, this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in me. Talk about a turnaround. Why? Because of the wisdom and the power of God. So if you believe you're smarter than everyone else, your behavior will reveal it. If you believe you don't deserve love or respect, your behavior will reveal it. If you believe you're above laws and rules, your behavior will reveal it. If you believe you can't change, your behavior will reveal it. If you believe in God, your behavior will reveal it. A little kid was bowling with his dad and he said, Dad, how'd I do? He goes, and his dad just didn't have the heart to tell him how bad he did. He goes, Dad, come on, tell me. Okay. You got 60. He goes, that's awesome. I used to be so bad at bowling. I love that story. I used to be so bad at bowling. 60, oh my gosh. This is awesome. You see, we're not going to be perfect, but we're going to make progress. We're going to make progress. Our behaviors are the foundational, functional way we cope with life. If you believe in God, your behavior will eventually reveal it. Your, your, your behavior will eventually reveal it. So he says, wow, you have kind of a complicated life. Yeah, I used to do this, but now I, I do this differently, so I'm making a lot of progress. Oh, whoa, this is progress for you. Yeah. Yeah, if you see somebody smoking, you go, oh, you smoke. Yeah, but I have three a day. I used to have a three packs a day. I'm down to three. You know, you think, okay, progress now, perfection later. Our behaviors are the functional way we cope with life. Uh, and, and our behaviors are essentially hacks. You familiar with the term hack? In the best sense, a hack is an elegant, sophisticated way of skipping over a bunch of steps. So if you're in the presence of a really great cook, they have hacks. If you have a, 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 an Italian grandmother, I guarantee she's got hacks down to a fine art. No, no, how do you make that pasta? Oh, easy. Just, just flour and water, a little salt. How? Like this. <laughs> You're writing it down. Okay, was that a cup? I don't know cup from cup. I don't know what you're talking about. No, wait, that whole thing you did. Yeah, yeah, just a little flour, a little water. Well, how much? Just a little. Well, how much salt? Just a bit. Like water. Just enough. You go, what's going on here? That's a hack. Uh, usually, though, we think of hacks, though, as being hacked. Some intrusive, horrible, you know, situation with our computer. Uh, you think of your, perhaps your golf game. You're, you're hacking your way down the fairway. <clears throat> uh, you think of being lost in the rainforest. You're hacking through the forest. Uh, a hack is a person who's a very bad version of whatever they're trying to do. He or she's a hack at doing whatever. 
Um, but a hack is basically an improvised temporary solution to a problem. Our life is a series of hacks. It's our best effort to get it right, to make up for what we're, we haven't gotten at the beginning or to continue what we think we barely have and we just need to keep it going. So hacks are our improvisational ways of living our life. And, and, they're, and they're courageous often. They're, they're fantastically ingenious. Wow, way to go. If you've ever been to an undeveloped nation, you go, how did they get the power and the water to this? Oh, I see. A billion wires going over my head like a big, you know, uh, bundle of yarn and somehow this, this is somebody's electrical connection. You know, all these devices that they've, they've come up with to get through uh, the day. Um, the problem with hacks is what they are. They're temporary improvisational things. And so the behaviors that burden us are simply the accumulated hacks that we've pieced together to get through the day. And it works for a while and after a while you don't even notice it anymore. <clears throat> and then we, we get so used to it, so comfortable with it, we baptize it. And you say, this is me and Jesus. But really, why would you blame that on Jesus? Well, I'm giving him full glory and credit for everything I am. Okay, yeah, I would maybe take that out of the equation because I'm not sure he, he deserves credit for that. How about letting Jesus meet you in the midst of your hack and show you that there's a better way of being you? Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, Paul writes about behaviors that burden. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. You might think, well, those are reprehensible things. No, those are hacks. Those are somebody's best way of coping with life. And you know what? Every one of us do it. Every one of us can be bitter, Every one of us can experience some level of rage or anger, brawling, slander, and malice. Now, you might say, well, I don't. Yeah, but we have the capacity to. We have the capacity to. Every human being, if they're honest, will say, I, could, I, could, I get that. I don't support it. I don't want to be that, but I get how a person gets there. So last night uh, in L.A., an off-duty police officer, Jose Javier Diaz, 24 years old, taco stand with his girlfriend and her two brothers, eating, having a great time about midnight. It's been a really fun time being together. <laughs> they're young, they're happy, they're healthy. He's, he, he's living his dream being a policeman in L.A. And he looks over and he sees a, a guy at a, an adjacent building tagging it. He goes, hey, hey, don't do that. Stop doing that. And they go back to eating and that guy disappears. And a little bit later he comes back with some backup. And the backup pulls his shirt up and says, hey, what do you think of this gun? And they start harassing the, the four people. And they said, hey, hey, we're, 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 no. And they get up to leave, and the gun comes out, and Diaz goes down, he's dead. Two brothers are wounded. Uh, somebody flagged down a motorcycle cop, and it's a horrible tragedy. <clears throat> it's a case study in bitterness, rage and anger, brawling, slander, and malice. It's the most egregious, out-there version, encapsulated and intensified. But it's something every one of us can relate to at some level, if we're honest. Bitterness, long-standing resentment, rage and anger, hair-trigger anger plus long-term chronic unsolved anger, unresolved anger, brawling, spoiling for a fight, slander, insults meant to distort truth, malice, intentional harm. It's a continuum. Uh, people don't you know, come out of the womb saying, I can't wait 
to be bitter, slanderous, you know, you know angry, whatever. Uh, but over time, people move in that direction, and they do their best to hack it. If you talk to the young tagger, you might go, I'm so tired of people telling me what to do. They're eating tacos, and I don't have anything. You know, who knows what the justification would be? There's no justification, but that's the explanation. <clears throat> What's God's improvement on our hack? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Well, that's what I was doing. No, no, you thought you were doing that. It's like what you thought you were saying, having had your wisdom teeth out and somebody asked you a question. And your thinking was, yes, I would love some more ice cream. It came out, you go, what was that? And you're going, no, it's just what I said. I, uh, no, you think you're being kind, compassionate, forgiving, and, and no, you're being bitter, angry. Get the point? Kind is empathy applied generously. Compassionate means deep understanding and care. Forgiving is looking past sin to grace. Not, not overlooking sin, but looking past the sin to God's grace. This is God's better version of what it means to be us. Now, the crazy thing is, uh, the guys, if they catch them, who did this to Dias, will go to prison. And let's just say, in, in some amazing and, and wonderful way, they meet Andrew Riley in prison. And they get to know Andrew, and they come to his Bible study because they're bored out of their gourd, they have nothing else to do, and they'd rather go to a Bible study than sit in their cell. And over time, Andrew and the people Andrew works with as a volunteer get through to this guy, and all of a sudden, he's a different guy. And all of a sudden, he becomes an example of whose fault is it? This guy's or his parents? This is so that the works of God might be revealed. What are you facing right now in your life? What are you trying to hack your way through? And I ask you this question. Where's God in it? Where's God in it? Uh, last week, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. Amazing. Hope you read a whole bunch of articles about that. To relive that was just, was just fantastic. But I always think of immediately of Apollo 13 when I think of Apollo 11. If you saw, how many saw the movie or know the story? The greatest hack of all time. Three guys um, in something that looks like a clown car if you were driving on the freeway next to it. So small. Uh, realize uh, an oxygen canister has just blown out <laughs> the systems. And three guys have to get in a vehicle made for two guys. And that vehicle was meant to function for, for about 45 hours at the max. And, but this is now a 90-hour ride home, if we can even get there. So three guys now in deep um, space. Three guys in deep space. But talking with Houston. They're not left to their own devices. And it's weird because you're getting a little bit lightheaded. Not, not realizing quite yet that the carbon dioxide is building up. And in, in probably an hour or two, they're going to be asleep and then dead. <clears throat> what do you do? What can I hack? They're looking around trying to figure out what do we do. Houston, headquarters, home, says, we've been working on it. Here's what we suggest. What do you suggest when you're that far away? And everything on that little capsule was pared down to the minimum thing you need to do the mission. And now you're back home going... Well, we could, oh no, what could, they, what could they do? How do we translate what we, uh, yeah. And so what do they come up with? The obvious, what I would have come up with in you, a bungee cord, a plastic bag, a couple socks, the cover of a tech manual, 
immediately comes to my mind. And of course, the one thing that I always have at hand, duct tape, right? <laughs> if you don't have duct tape, I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for your safety. Don't even leave this church without duct tape. Borrow some if you have to, to get home. <clears throat> so that wasn't part of the original plan, but it became part of the mission, right? God's work in us enables us to fulfill our mission. And to stand back and say, I thought I could hack it, but maybe you have a better idea. I'm getting lightheaded, groggy, getting a headache. I just want to take a nap so badly. But really what I want to do is get home. God's work in us enables us to fulfill our mission and carries us safely home. His elegant solution is our salvation. God bless you for your hack. Congratulations for the innovative way you've got through maybe some really difficult times. But God wants to come in and say, I, I have, I think, a better solution for you. Because what you don't realize is this behavior ultimately is going to crush you. These beliefs are going to disorient you. And you'll never get home. I want to give you something that will build you and fill you with life. Paul writes to the Galatians, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. How? How? Ah, love my neighbor as myself in the way that God loves me. Okay, that's starting to make sense. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. That's a hack. You mess with me, I'll mess with you. You criticize me, I'll criticize you. So let's break this godly wisdom down into bite-sized pieces. One, we won't change until we need to or want to. Do you have any sense of need in you right now to change? Do you have any sense that I really do want to change? I really want to get it right because I'm frustrated. I've been reading the Bible and I'm bored out of my gourd. Maybe there's a fresher way to read the Bible. I've been in my life group. After a while, we just talk about the same old stuff and it ends like this. I'm fine, thank you. i got these habits that I can't seem to break out of. I'm thinking about even ditching my life group and my church because, I don't know, I'm just stuck. That means that God is saying, hey, your hack has run its course. I'm ready to give you more. And then finally, uh, if we realize that life isn't easy, but God is always faithful, we understand that Jesus, the power and wisdom of God, is at work in us if we will simply pay attention. Did one of you guys get the radio? I'm trying to fix this thing. These knuckleheads from Houston keep trying to tell me something. Yeah, those knuckleheads from heaven saying, no, don't do that. Do this. So where do you need his power right now? Where do you need the power of God in a fresh way right now? Turn to him. How do you turn to him? You say, Lord, I'm turning to you. I'm turning to you right now. Uh, I, I want to learn from you in a fresh way about who I am and what you want to do in me. Where do you need his wisdom right now? Learn from him. Lord, what are the tools and the resources you're providing for me? It could be a counselor. It could be a dear friend. It could be a mentor. It could be just, again, a fresh way of seeing you and everything around you. It could be saying, oh, my gosh, I hadn't thought about that. Right now is an opportunity for God to show his mighty works in me. Ah, okay. Embrace whatever is happening in you and offer it to God. Yeah, but it's really bad. Yeah, embrace it. No, I'm embarrassed about it. Embrace it. Say, I'm not embracing it as if this is awesome. I'm, I'm owning it. 
this is who I am, this is where I am, what do you want to do to meet me here and get me through here, Lord? Who have you brought into my life to support me in this? What kinds of resources are available? What kinds of role models are out there that I can say, ah, I get it. I'm going to walk with you for a while as we walk together with God. Why? So that the works of God might be displayed in you. Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God for you. So Lord Jesus, that's our prayer, that we would learn to be for you having come to understand in a new and fresh way that you are for us. Thank you for everything you are doing, and may we start to pay attention to it and understand it for what it is. Thank you for what you've done, and thank you for what you're going to do, Lord, as we learn to trust you, as we learn to learn from you, as we learn to walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord as the offering of the morning is now received. And the offering is, is if, you, if you want to contribute something wonderful, most importantly, it's an offering of you. This is a great time as the music plays, as you sing, as you worship God, as you sit there and just reflect on all that you've been hearing today, to say, Lord, I'm giving me to you. I'm offering me to you. And this is the part I'm specifically asking you uh, to take as my offering.
Grace, what have you done? Murdered for me on that cross. Accused in an absence of wrong. That sin washed away in your blood. Too much to make sense of it all.
You don't need that hack in your hand when you have his hope in your heart. His hope in your heart is better than any hack you or I could come up with. Why? Because he wants to teach us the skills for living well. Out of his word, through his Holy Spirit, in the company of his people, through wise counselors and great mentors and friends. This is God's gift to us in Christ. The power of God and the wisdom of God. If we can pray for you in any way, for anything, or for anybody else that you want prayer for, go right out the door and around the corner to the prayer garden, and uh, you don't even have to tell the people there what you want pray for, prayer for. Just walk up and go, I'm here, pray for me. If you have a request, let them know, and they'll pray for you about that. We believe that prayer changes things. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to begin a relationship with him, to continue a relationship with him, to grow in a relationship with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.